All right, what'll you have to drink? Uh, some strawberry apple juice with a little bit of gin. You are listening to a yet-to-be-named podcast, but this is Michael Ware. I'm Melissa Ware. We are the Wares, and uh, we have been thinking about some names for the podcast. Uh, this podcast is going to accompany the newsletter that we've done for uh, years that puts together uh, political news, uh, news about faith, uh some uh, essays, election coverage. Yeah. Uh, and we've we've done this for a few years now and moved to Substack in the last couple of years. That's right. um, uh, and this podcast is just uh, uh, the next step in the expansion of the enterprise. The Ware Empire. The Ware Empire. We that that's a potential name. The Ware. The Empire. Ware Empire. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would really prefer to not have this be the Reclaiming Hope podcast. Um, but so, so what names? What names are we are we toying with? Well, last night you said, "How about all is fair," as in all is fair in love and war. And then I thought, "Well, all is where in love and war," which I think has some merit. Yes. And then I just said five minutes ago, one of the things that um, your groomsman wrote on our car when we got married in 2011 was "Where in love. Okay. Yep. We could do that. And I've always we could loved do that. that. Uh, I was thinking, thinking, uh, speaking of throwbacks, I was thinking peanut butter jelly time. No way. Yes. I was thinking peanut butter jelly time. Uh, do you want to tell our listeners uh, where that comes from? Well, I... It was just one of many nicknames that several people around us in, in our family really called us because we were always just attached to one another, like peanut butter and jelly. Like peanut butter and jelly. So peanut butter jelly time is is possible. So yeah, so we'll, one of those names, if, if, uh, if you're listening out there and have any wear-related puns or other suggestions. Um, How about this, wearing you out? I'd like something a little more uplifting. <laughs> um, uh, let's workshop that one and give back to it. Uh, okay, so we'll figure out a title. Um, we're excited to be doing this. We uh, like talking to each other, have done it for a long time. Most of uh, the time. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we'll just, uh, the the idea here is We'll talk about some articles that have caught our attention, talk about things in the news. We'll also talk about uh, uh, life. Uh, and speaking of life, um, there you, you may not be able to hear it uh, in the background. But I can hear it very loudly. It's very loud. Uh, it's been running now for about 60 hours. Yes. Uh, it, it is a rock tumbler. Uh, for our eldest daughter, uh, who's three, who uh, loves collecting rocks, and uh, was given for Christmas uh, a rock tumbler. Now, I thought when we got this that the tumbler operated for 15 minutes. Yes, absolutely. Put the rocks. And they know, came out shiny. And they came out shiny. Yes. No, this is a four-step 
like three to four week process. So now we are on uh, step one, which could be from three to five days. I chose three because gotta be honest, uh, Melissa, uh, some of the rocks that she picked up didn't look like winners to me. Yeah. She would, uh, she, she would, she would, she would pick up a rock a that looked like could have been uh, like concrete, like concrete. Yes. Uh-huh. And would say, "Dada, uh, here's a rock, and uh, expect me to put it in the little bag we had." And I would say, "Oh, uh, Sirsha, this this is a great rock. Uh, thank you." And as soon as she turned, I chuck it into the river because it wasn't gonna shine into anything. But so we have. Um, a very loud rock tumbler. We have a very loud rock tumbler going in the background. Uh, I think step two will be much longer than three days. Uh, I believe there's a step that takes eight to ten days no, in the tumbler. I didn't know that. Yeah, and so you you put the rocks in with different kinds of prepackaged grit. By the way, they only gave us enough of the grit for one cycle and so we're going to now be a part of the the grit empire the grit the grit empire yeah that's right we need to get in the grit business yes uh it's like blue apron only for grit we're just gonna single-handedly fund national geographic with this thing yes yeah Yeah, it is yeah plug for national geographic um okay so you are drinking uh, you had already, since this is the first time we've done this, you didn't know I was going to ask you what you wanted to drink. No. And so you have water and a strawberry apple juice from Wegmans. Yes, that's right, from Wegmans. And you just told, told me to put some gin in it. I'm happy to oblige. And a couple ice cubes. And some ice cubes. I have, uh, I have uh, apple cider and this gin, which Melissa is also using, which we got at the Baltimore Christmas Market. Uh, uh, and it's from a local uh, distillery called Blue Dyer Distilling Company, and it's gin that's uh, that's uh, like rested in a, a bourbon barrel, which is very exciting. It's delicious. It's very good. All right. Well, I think we should get to business. We have a few articles, trends that we want to discuss. Well, how, how do you want to, how do you want to, where, where do you want to start? Well, this caught my eye the other day when I was putting together our weekly political brief. And it's that the U.S. Census Bureau can now tell us that from July 2020 to July 2021, the United States population grew by only 0.12%, which is the slowest rate that it's grown since the early 1900s or when the census started measuring the U.S. population. And so this includes things like deaths, immigration, net net immigration, and births. So that number just, it doesn't inspire confidence in what's going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, you, yes. kind of, you kind of look at that number right after having Christmas in the middle of a pandemic when Omicron is just, you know, wreaking havoc. And you just think, well... Don't like that. <laughs> right. And so 25 states registered more deaths than births. Yep. And right, it's important. It's obviously, uh, COVID has yes. played, a, played a role, role. here. Yes. But it's also important to note that this coincides with a plummeting birth rate. Yes. 
uh, with immigration restrictions. Yes. Uh, yeah, this is this is not a COVID story. The, these no, it's trends, not entirely a COVID. It's story. It's not entirely a COVID story. These are uh, these are these are trends that would uh, that that have been that we've seen uh, uh, building for some time yes. now. And these are just the latest numbers. These that are the latest show numbers. Yep. U.S. population growth, uh, as Brookings put it, has nearly flatlined. Uh, and so, uh, I, right, this is one of those stats that if you try and boil it down into one cause, uh, you're gonna, you're gonna end up in some pretty screwy places. Yes, it's but, multi-causal. But what are, what are some of the causes that you're seeing? Well, I think that some of the discourse over the past year, especially in major publications like the New York Times, The Atlantic, and elsewhere, has been really interesting when it comes to fertility or the birth rate and why or why not people are choosing to have children via birth. Um, and I would say that the sort of narrative or the discourse has been quite negative towards child rearing or childbearing. A lot of it's been focused on, well, climate change is already here. Climate change will already get will only get worse. We should not be bringing children into this. Um, and a lot of a lot of the stories are also. I would like to have a child, but I cannot because I cannot financially um, afford it. Which is the story for a lot of millennials who are saddled with all kinds of debt and stagnant wages, and the previous twenty oh eight crisis, on through this pandemic crisis, in you know the sort of time of out. Well, we're millennials, so our greatest earning years. We don't have retirement or savings, so why would we have a child sort of thing? So it's financial reasons, it's climate change reasons. It's sort of Europeanized in a way in that in Europe, you have some really great social safety nets and welfare states who really, really encourage childbearing, and yet the replacement rates in most European states is not where it should be at, um, despite basically giving every single kind of benefit to a person or persons who would like to have a child. So so that's that's an important point, right? So you and I both professionally and and personally in our politics have been longtime supporters of pro-family policies, a stronger yes. social safety net, that's right. more support for parents and children. Uh, and that's all supremely important and uh, America is behind there but for those who try to like place all of the weight for the plummeting birth rate on uh, on sort of state government support or or even societal support for family rearing we look to Europe and it seems like Seems like something culturally, something psychologically, um, something sort of um, uh, uh, phenomenologically yes. uh, is 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 happening as well. That's exactly where I was getting to. Is that even in Europe, when you have a lot of great supports, a lot of people are still choosing not to have children because they simply say they don't want children. It's not a part of their plan or their life goals or what they feel will fulfill them. And I do think that there's a lot of that type of um, uh, attitude or approach to life, I don't know what you want to call it, um, over here as well. But the thing that I'm most concerned about 
are the people who wish to have a child but who are choosing not to because they're either being told that they should not be bringing a child into a climate change world or because they cannot afford it. I'm most worried about the people who would like to have a child but who simply aren't. Also, I mean, COVID as well. A lot of people don't want to be pregnant during COVID, and I can understand that. I was pregnant during COVID, and it was not great. Okay. Can we talk about the climate change? Sure. Let's do it. There's a generation called the boomers. Yeah, there sure is. Now, uh, the name is not because they were a generation born in the wake of a nuclear bomb going off. Uh-huh. But it totally could have been. Yes. Because the baby boomers coincided with a nuclear bomb going off. <laughs> and their parents being like, well, well yeah, yeah. <laughs> now's as good a time as any. <laughs> Humanity prove its its potential to eliminate itself. <laughs> and Let's that coincided. Let's go make some babies. And so you know, I, it's um, uh, yeah, I, right. Like I want to. Um, it seems like a lot more is going on than a risk assessment. It, it, it you know, like I think climate change is the answer, and we're actually seeing in like uh, anecdotally, and I think in some like survey, like re- like climate change is increasingly. Um, like being being raised being as a involved. reason yes. why That's people right. are uh, don't want to uh, have uh, have have babies, um, uh, and you want to respect the answer that people give. But Absolutely. I do kind of wonder, and and to be honest, since it's just you and me talking, you know, I suspect um, that. What we're seeing here, not to be an armchair sort of therapist, but we're, what we're seeing here is a kind of like uh, 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 cataclysmizing of uh, and sort of uh, uh, a way to externalize fears and concerns that people have always had about whether they'll be good parents or whether they're equipped. And like climate change is just like the specter out there of why uh, sort of it will be difficult to to raise children and how can you be sure that they'll have a bright future and that sort of thing. And these are questions of like, these are not new questions. No. Um, They're they're also questions that um, uh, typically like we've gotten over, like we've decided that, oh, like, the not speaking on the individual level, but societally, a society that does not want to reproduce is a society that is sort of um, uh, uh, that wants to self annihilate. Yeah, <laughs> yes, <laughs> and so uh, you know, I'm not sure if we have a bright sort of. Uh, I mean, I think there are some bright sides to this, as as we've covered in the newsletter for. A, a while, I do think we're seeing the American public policy conversation um, light up a bit more. Light up a bit more about yes. families and supports for parents and children, and the conversation is centering there in a way that 
uh, I personally believe will be fleeting. I don't think this is the new normal. I think we have a window of operating on family-friendly policy. I completely agree. Um, uh, and you only have to look at these op-eds that you're that you're referencing about people saying like uh, not making the choice to have kids and all the reasons for that and uh, even this rhetoric about not having kids being responsible. Well, what happens when that gets politicized? <laughs> yeah, and what happens when there's all kinds of, I mean, there's all kinds of moralizing around all these arguments, and there should be, because we're talking about the creation of life here. So, so like, don't, I'm not sort of raining on that parade. Like, I'm not saying that there shouldn't be these kinds of conversations, and or what I'm really getting at are arguments around climate change. There's just a lot of moralizing, which I think, for a lot of people, when so many of our conversations now are boiled down to right and wrong, um, and other sort of really tough ethical questions that people just sort of, I think, would rather just go with whatever it is that they're, you know, sort of whatever sort of like is the trend or whatever sort of going around. Like it's much easier to go that way because you just don't want to be wrong or in the wrong or things like that. I know that's kind of vague of what I'm, you know, what I've just said, but. That's super interesting. I really want to dig in on the whether we as a society are obsessed with right or wrong, but maybe like a way to seg this conversation is to go to the, the second news item. Yes, which is the new uh, Pew religion numbers. That's right. And so these numbers won't be a surprise to those of you who uh, subscribe to the newsletter or who have been following this, this stuff generally, but Pew has updated numbers that continue to show uh, the trend that has basically been the dominant trend of the 21st century as far as religion goes, which is uh, a rising of secularization. But primarily what that, what that means when you break down the numbers is the rising of religious disaffiliation. And so just to give you a sense of uh, how this has played out. So now three, roughly three in 10 adults are now religiously unaffiliated. Now it's important to say, this doesn't mean, and we'll get into this more, this doesn't mean that they don't believe in God. So a significant percentage of those who are religiously unaffiliated yep. believe in God, believe in, right. believe in all kinds of things. So the number of the of the religiously unaffiliated who believe in reincarnation, for instance, or uh, that physical objects can be manifested with uh, sort of um, uh, spiritual properties or metaphysical properties, um, like significant percentages. So this is not sort of oh we have like a growing uh, sort of rational anti-spiritual. Uh, population. No, this is this is a move away from organized religion. So that's the first thing. And just to give you a sense of of the size of this move in terms of the American context, um, when uh, in two thousand seven um, uh, we were um, uh, uh, in two thousand seven when Pew started asking uh, about these numbers. The number of Christians in America, those who identified with a Christian religion, um, outnumbered the religious, uh, the religiously unaffiliated, by almost five to one. So, seventy-eight percent were Christian. Seventy-eight percent of American adults were Christian. 
according to Pew in 2007, 16% were religiously unaffiliated. That includes, again, atheists, agnostics, and then those who just uh, don't belong to a particular religious tradition, uh, generally. Uh, uh, now, uh, Christians just outnumber uh, by just over two to one. So that is a that is a significant shift. We're talking about 78% were Christian in 2007, uh, now 63% of the adult population are are Christian. And Melissa, so two things. When I'm talking with Christian audiences, right? Uh, about these kinds of numbers, I, I tend to say a few things. The, primarily, uh, like pay attention. Like all of our silly, stupid mm-hmm. arguments and the parochialism, and we are seeing a massive, in terms of human souls, like in terms of in terms of individuals, millions of Americans. Uh, not affiliating with a religious tradition, definitely not going to church on a regular basis. Like the the, the it doesn't seem to me like Christian culture has caught up. Other than so it has quote unquote caught up in the sense that uh, um, we see growing numbers of Christians who feel embattled right. and like act that out through their politics and yep. through their through their cultural views. But when I'm talking about a response, I'm talking about like, okay, let's think about what missional Christian work looks like in America. Like let's, let's, let's look at what it looks like to share the gospel in America uh, 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 in a way that we haven't had to do before because we've always been in this country in a culture in which uh, the vast majority of Americans were at least familiar with church and were raised in Christian families. And now that we're sort of deeper into the cycle of secularization, that's not the case anymore. So that's like the conversation I want to have with Christians. The thing I always want to point out, though, to like uh, those who aren't particularly invested in sort of the the church and Christian conversation but for like civic leaders for is like 63% of Americans are still Christian. Yep. Like we've, we, we have this like narrative of like religious decline and within the American context, it's absolutely true. Uh, the, the shift has been notable. It has already had cultural, political, religious impacts. It will have even greater moving forward, I think. Highly recommend John Green's book, uh, Secular, uh, The Secular Surge, uh, for those who want to, uh, I think, peer into the future a bit about the kinds of changes we're, we're going to be seeing as a society because of these religious changes. But it's really important for folks to understand, like, we still have a predominantly Christian country, not just in terms of like culture and like symbols and whatever, but like what people actually identify it as. Yes. Like there what are there's out in their daily life. Yeah. Melissa, as you think about these numbers, what what comes to mind for you? 
I mean, the sort of first half of what you're talking about, about the church's response and how the church is thinking about this and what you say to Christians, because, I, I mean, I agree. Most of the time, these numbers come out and you see a bunch of Christians on Twitter going, woe is us, and feeling more embattled, like it isn't our fault kind of thing. And you do have to step back and ask about how has the church been responding to these declining numbers since 2007 and honestly before that. And you kind of get... And we've talked about this for years because we noticed this years ago when we'd go into various towns or we'd go church hopping ourselves or whatever to shop around, you know, for our, you know, our latest church for wherever we were moving to. Um, and just, just to be clear, what? Just, just to be clear, we do not church hop or church shop. Only when we Melissa move. is referring to when we move. And I said and when we, we move. I, I, just to be, just to be clear, those things. No. A, okay, continue. We're not church hopping every three seconds. Oh, Only when oh, we move. Oh. Okay. <laughs> what? Okay, What's go. What's the problem? Okay. Go. Anyways. You see kind of responses that actually go along with the culture, like church without church, and the sort of like yes, taking the sort of gross the religiosity out of you know whatever right. it is that they're presenting. That's the response. That's the response, which is kind of where the culture is already going. So I kind of want to say, shouldn't you actually be going in the opposite direction? <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. to yeah. sort of present a countercultural vision. Yeah, we don't, we don't like what where the culture person... is going. Let's double down on what they're doing. Yeah, no. you see it everywhere, and then you see it with church consumerism and all, all those kinds of things. I mean, basically, you stick a fog machine in, and you say church without church, and that's the response. One of the other sort of areas that it brings up for me is some of the more recent articles that have been coming out. And there's one I'm thinking about in particular that just came out in Vox like a few weeks ago from. Rebecca Jennings, um, one of their journalists, talking about the the rise of spirituality and new religions or a religion on TikTok and other social media platforms. Okay. And this really feeds into that conversation yeah, in so, fascinating ways. So let's dive into that. Before we do, I just want to, uh, you know, uh, commenting in jest here about the response, do want to point out a lot of church planners a lot of people, I think of our friend Josh Crossman at Pine Tops Foundation, who has an excellent report out called The Greatest Opportunity uh, that takes on, that considers these numbers and how the church ought to respond. So a lot of good work is is going on. Shout out to Lisa Fields and the Jude 3 right. um, project that's, that's, uh, that's doing creative work here. This is a time where we need new institutions, new energy. So to be serious for a moment, there's like a lot of good stuff uh, going on. I think it's really important though, for, for those who care about the future of the church, uh, recognize the future of the church isn't just like you and your buddies. Like we're, we're talking about a changing and shifting landscape here in America. And part of that, part of that change and that shift, uh, Melissa, <laughs> is covered in this Vox article. Tell, tell folks what what that uh, what that article unveils for us. Yeah. Well, Michael and I are on TikTok. <laughs> yes, yes, we are. I love TikTok. I'm I not do. afraid yeah. to say that, I'm a, that I love TikTok. I've given away all my information on other platforms, so you know what? TikTok can have all my information there. I'm totally okay with that. The stuff that shows up on there is really funny, really interesting. It's a really good coping mechanism if you've had, you know, a bad day and you sit down for an hour and scroll through a bunch of TikToks. <laughs> but it's an hour? 
We're raising two children. <laughs> continue, continue. Honestly, it's probably more like three hours until <laughs> in the morning. Anyways, so constantly on TikTok, I see all kinds of religious sort of or so, well, honestly, the article really talks about spirituality. So very spiritual language, very spiritual concepts coming from all kinds of traditions that you can tell a lot of them Christian that are becoming extremely popular, getting millions of views. And, and some TikTokers, some actual accounts are like building their entire platform on this, building their entire platform on manifesting or creating TikToks where basically you'll be scrolling through on your For You page, which is just like the general page that comes up that the algorithm tries to figure you out and gives you TikToks for you to sort of, that they think you'll like, where you'll have TikTokers will say, you're seeing this message because in two days, you're gonna have something amazing happen in your life. And it's like, it's like trance music in the background. Like I get those TikToks all the time because I've been starting to basically like in my algorithm, trying to trick the algorithm as if I like these things because I'm just so interested from like a sociological level, like what is going on? What are people watching? What are people consuming? And then what, and then looking at the comments and it's just really interesting how popular it's become how much a sort of like lifeline or lifeboat or an anchor it's become for some people, it seems like. Because it's giving religion or religiosity without the actual religious tenets. Like, okay. without the actual religion, right, without so the that's, rules. Right, so that's the point, right? So uh, it's not an anchor because it's not more to anything. But I mean, people feel like it's an anchor, well, though. Well, well, right, but what they... So this this brings us to this article. Speaking of, uh, uh, I saw a uh, ad. I had an ad on my Twitter uh, from the New York Times uh, that shared an article from, I believe, November. Uh, so about a month old. Uh, <laughs> the 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 tweet it says. Uh, the spiritual advisor, Carissa Schumacher, channels the dead for a celebrity clientele that includes Jennifer Aniston and Rooney Mara. In late 2019, she said she began channeling Yeshua, or Jesus, as he is known in the Old Testament. So, funny, funny side note here. New York Times had to issue a, a correction uh, on that uh, to say... Uh, that the article also referred incorrectly to the Old Testament while the name Yeshua appears in it. Uh, Jesus Christ does not. I'm going to say debatable, you know. I I've heard some interpretations, but, but still very funny. Um, and in this article, you have major, major culture creators, titans of industry, yeah. saying, saying, saying things like, uh, yes. Uh, uh, so uh, just I asked Miss Rudolph Walsh. Miss Rudolph Walsh was um, uh, was uh, uh, Jennifer Rudolph Walsh uh, was ran the literary department at WME uh, and then helped bring Miss Schumacher to Harper One for her book about her conversations or. No, I'm sorry, not come from her transmissions of 
Jesus, who she calls Yeshua because she says it makes her feel weird. She knows it makes people feel weird if she says that she's communing uh, with or, or being uh, a vehicle for Jesus. Medium. And so Yeshua yeah. is a way to sort of like diffuse. <laughs> Yeshua, saying Yeshua instead of Jesus is a way of diffusing sort of the quote, like the quote unquote weirdness of it. But listen to this from the article. I asked Miss Rudolph Walsh if she believed that Yeshua was truly speaking through Miss Schumacher. <laughs> to me, it doesn't matter, she said. It matters was what is being said. But do I personally believe she's channeling Yeshua? Yes, I do. How could those two things be true? If she is channeling Yeshua, how could that not matter? And, and how could you say you, you personally believe she's channeling Yeshua, but to others, like, ignore that, just pay attention to what she... No, if Jesus is speaking through her, I think that's pretty pertinent info. But, but that speaks to the whole, like, um, the whole, like, contrivance of things like this. Oh, these things. I think so. Absolutely drive me insane. Yeah, so there's a few things going on here. So I think that Hollywood in California, in particular like Southern California, has always been a bastion or a place in which 100%. new levels of spirit or new kinds of spirituality come out of. And I think it's because you've got a, you know, celebrity and, you know, acting or music, where however it is that you're achieving celebrity. Celebrity, I think, does a lot to the psyche. I think it does a lot to your relationships. And. Miss Schumacher, this medium channeling Yeshua, is giving these actors, actresses, singers, whomever, um, meaning. Yes. And answers in a time. At at in a eleven hundred eleven dollars an hour, but yes. yes. No, and when you can afford things like that, you're not even thinking about like the sort of like privilege that comes with it to even be able to do this. Like it's just something that you do because it makes you feel good. It gives you meaning, gives you purpose. You have somebody who's listening to you. You have somebody who's being channeled, Yeshua, Jesus, who, however it is that they're viewing um, uh, it. You know, coming to you with special, specific message specifically tailored for you, making you feel special, making you feel seen and known. All, all of this stuff boils down to people wanting meaning, people wanting to be loved, people wanting to be known. 100%. That This is what all this stuff is sort of boiling down to. California has always been a bastion uh, of this type of stuff, um, the sort of rise of various leaders, because, I mean, the article also names other kinds of leaders as well. Um, I mean, part of how these things are sort of being, like, discursively, like, sort of sold to us as well. It's so interesting, this article, and I'm seeing this more and more, but she's like, yeah, it sounds crazy, but, you know, I'm just doing this. And then it's just left there. So when you sort of admit, like, this sounds implausible, hey, I'm admitting it's implausible. So I know I do sound crazy, but I just want you to take me at my word kind of thing. Discursively, that's how it's being presented now so that people, because in the past, you'd be like, oh, this person is, you know, just another Californ Southern Californian, like, you know, uh, guru, who, blah, 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 and I'm going to ignore them because they're quote unquote crazy. There's sort of something going on here as well that that yes. in the sort of marketing and branding and the words that are being used, that's why I say discursively, like that's going on that is so clever. Yeah. It's so clever for getting people to sort of jump on board because they're like, yeah, I do think this sounds crazy, but you think it is too. You're admitting to it. So yeah, I'll, you know, I'll come along for the ride for five more minutes kind of thing. Yes. Well, and the whole idea is that it's actually 
trivialized by the people taking part in it. In other words, the only reason why these, why the people who participate can get away with it is because both those on the outside and those on the inside, with the exception of Schumacher, there is an assumption, which maybe is a false one, maybe we shouldn't make it, but there's an assumption that these people can't really believe that this is real. Like this, mm-hmm. this is just a game. If 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 honestly, it sounds like she's giving them more of a you know a therapy session, and they're they're coming uh, out happy customers. Which uh, like hundred uh, percent, right? So if this is just about self care, if this yeah. does is it making any claims about but the actual world, like in reality, then sure do whatever. But which is which is I think the name change from Jesus to Yeshua is just so fascinating and so telling. Like Willard has this thing, Willard would say, you know, um, uh, it's it's fine to quote like Confucius for like life lessons. Yeah. Uh, And people can be taken seriously quoting Confucius because of this very same thing. Like it's actually because Confucius is not considered an authority in the Western world that you could invoke him to sort of make your point. But if, if, if it, let's say that Schumacher was a pastor who said that she talked to Jesus daily in the morning yeah. as millions and millions and millions of people have attested that they have done, uh, that has a history of reality, like actual historic events have been shaped for good or ill, like just to step back and just look at this object, for good or ill, things have changed and happened because of people who have said, like, I talked to Jesus in the morning and he talks to me. Uh, That person would be run out of Hollywood. They would not be able to be taken seriously. When Michelle Bachman (laughs) said said that she, when Michelle Bachman, uh, when Michelle Bachman said, you know, I, uh, I, uh, um, you know, God told me to run. Like, it yeah. was like a crazy news story. And it was like, uh, we, uh, how could that, we can't have this person in the White House. She thinks God is talking to her. Um, but like, there's this story that like, there's this playfulness in this story that is like, you know, no one, even though they're talking like they take this seriously, like everyone's kind of like in on it, and that's just a fascinating thing sociologically. Like, oh to yeah, just and that's exactly that's exactly what's happening on TikTok. All of this is just playing out on TikTok as well. It's just that the social media platform is a place for a certain type of person to gather, and it's an amplifier of this type of thinking, the various messages, the way of being, the way of thinking about this. A lot of it because it's. It gives an anchoring without being anchored to anything. And, and it, doesn't really, it doesn't require anything. It doesn't require anything. It doesn't require anything of the people participating in it. And because you can't define it, you can't really attack another person for even like believing whatever whatever word you want to use, believe in it or follow it or whatever, because there's nothing, it's really amorphous. There's nothing really around it. So you can't really attack another person right. on it. Whereas like, you know, again, the Michelle Bachman, the thing, or like the example of a pastor in California, like saying that, like in Hollywood, sorry, Hollywood saying that, like, it's because it's actually anchored to something and there's a history. And, and also there's just, you know, a certain level of knowledge around Christianity in the United right. States. Um, I am, I am looking right now at this article and Ms. Schumacher is uh, posing 
in the middle of a forest. Elfin forest, which I think is of fascinating. The elfin for, forest. Because you, know you know what this is. She moved to elfin forest, which invokes a lot of like fairy, fairy dumb fairy things, like some very like Gaelic, like it, like that type of stuff, which I'm seeing a rise of on on TikTok as well. A lot of talk about fae and fairies and things like that. So I found that. So when I read that in the article, I'm like, Elfin Forest. Wild. She's, po she's posing here. She like has her forehead up against a feather. She has like a gemstone thing around. I mean, she appropriates from. Buddhism from tribal traditions. It's yeah, just Native like Native American culture. Uh, yeah, from Native yeah. American culture, just like whatever, whatever, uh, whatever she can sort of like draw on. <laughs> I mean, the photos for this are so amazing. Uh, so yeah, I would encourage you all to check out this article uh, in Good Spirits, uh, the New York Times. It was published on. Uh, on November 26th. And then the Vox article, which covers, you know, similarly, these sort of like amalgamations of like loosely informed spiritual language uh, 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 on, on TikTok and on the internet uh, in, in ways that are really impacting people's lives. Uh, the title of this article is uh, is a new kind of religion forming on the internet, and that's Vox. Uh, that's by Rebecca Jennings. And the New York Times article is uh, by uh, Irina Alexander. Uh, a lot of celebrity uh, cameos in that article. The New York uh, Times it's one. In the, the New York Times one, really quite a read. Um, all right, Melissa, This is anything else you want to you wanna cover? This is the first episode. I think this is... Uh, this is good. Went a little bit longer than, than we had anticipated. But yes, we'd like to keep this shorter. We'd like time. to keep it shorter. Um, but uh, that's for the future. Uh, this episode is, is what it is. Uh, it you're is almost done with is. your drink. Yeah. I, I still have a ways to, to go on mine. Uh, but uh, this is fun. I'm going to enjoy these conversations. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't podcast a lot. Yeah, neither. I haven't podcasted in quite a while since, since uh, the election. It's been a year since the election. Wow. All right, friends. Uh, you can uh, subscribe to the newsletter at reclaiminghope.substack.com. We'd love to have you there. Uh, increasingly, the podcast probably won't make much sense, or at least you'll you'll. Have a better read into the podcast if you're um, if you're following the newsletter because um, we'll try and have uh, uh, the content sort of track track uh, the content on the newsletter track the podcast and uh, vice versa. Um, but again, that's reclaiminghope.substack.com. You could follow Melissa on Twitter at Melissa M. Ware. I'm at Michael R. Ware. Have we, have we settled on a name? No, I was just about to put out a plea. Tell us if you liked any of those names that we said in the beginning. Or, I mean, should we just decide? Should we just... No, let's give the people a voice. Are uh, we sure we want to be that democratic? In this case, yeah. So, all is fair. All is where. Uh, where in love. Where in love. How about just to throw it in there, where is the love? The, where is the, the love? The classic song. Yes. Um, 
Uh, peanut butter jelly time. <laughs> I love that one. Peanut butter jelly time. I'm we sorry. might have to go with peanut, peanut kinda, butter jelly time. Yeah, that's where I'm leaning. Peanut okay. butter jelly time. Well, don't try and sway. Don't try and sway people. Uh, I'm not leaning that way. Yeah. Uh, I have no opinion. All right. Let us know what you think. And uh, we're looking forward to uh, uh, being able to share with you and, and converse with you in this way. Uh, you can send us questions yes. for the podcast. We We'd may love, answer them. We'd love to answer your questions. <laughs> um, we, yeah, we won't answer any any question. Not any This isn't question. a binding. Um, That's why I said that, because I don't want anybody thinking, oh, they're going to answer this question. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's enough. That, that's the end of this episode. Uh, we'll talk to you again soon. This Bye. Is- <laughs>